Well, welcome to After Hours on the mm. Super Bowl Sunday. You may be listening to this show after watching the game, or you may be listening right now, live, instead of watching the game. It's going to be a, a fascinating show whenever you listen to it. This first hour is devoted to uh, to a brand new book that is, uh, you can order it now. It'll be formally published in a week or so. It is titled Working in the 21st Century, An Oral History of American Work in a Time of Social and Economic Transformation. The author of this book is my old friend, Mark Larson. I used to work with his dad, Roy Larson. I think I've known Mark my entire entire life. We'll soon be joined by uh, Peter Alter of the Chicago History Museum, where Mark and I are doing an event. Congratulations, Mark Larson. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Uh, you wrote a book uh, most recently titled Ensemble, which is a fascinating sort of oral history of the incredibly lively uh, uh, up-and-down Chicago theater scene over the last decades. You wrote that for Doug Siebold, who runs Agate Publishing. That's right. You then said to Doug... Doug said to you, what are you thinking of doing? What are you thinking of writing? What are you thinking of doing? And this is how this book came to be. Tell that story before we get into your fascinating history. I had, uh, you know, I was doing some publicity on uh, Ensemble, and that was fun. But then COVID hit, and things went really dark. And partway into COVID, I got an email from Doug um, as suggesting that I do a book, a 21st century take on uh, Studs Terkel's working. And I got to tell you, I just jumped at it. I just So it was a great idea. In a way, though, you and I both knew Studs quite well. You were featured as an interview subject. I think your name was Peter Soderstrom or something yeah. in, in <laughs> books. In a way, though, as thrilling as that must have been, once you said, God, I'd love to do that, you must have at one point said, oh, my God, this is pretty intimidating, too. It's a little daunting. Did you not think? Yeah, I no. was. My first thought was, of course, I'm going to do this. I just love the idea. And I was extremely honored because Studs has been such an important figure. In you know, I, I remember reading Division Street years and years ago, sure. you know, as a kid. And working and, years and, and years working, ago. And working, of course. And so I just thought the world of him and do. And when Doug suggested this, I was thrilled, and I wanted to run out and do it right away. But, yes, right away, my thoughts went to, holy mackerel. Did you you at that time grab your copy of Working and read it again? I went out and bought a new one. Mm -hmm. Because yours was (laughs) pages torn out of it. And I wanted to start fresh. Sure. So I ran over to Barnes & Noble, and there it was. And it could have been the same day I got the email from Doug. Yeah. But it is. You're exactly right. It's intimidating. It's intimidating in part, I think, Mark, because of of Studd's innate ability as an interviewer. But it's also intimidating, and you you address it perfectly in the book. You know, the world and the working world has changed dramatically. Yeah, this is fifty years. Yeah, fifty years. So you had to you couldn't find some of the same kinds of people that Studs interviewed, could you? No. As a matter of fact, it's interesting you said that because one of my first thoughts was, well, what if I did something parallel? That might be interesting. But many of the jobs that he covered have evaporated or completely evolved away from that and many of the jobs that are you know in play right now 
are totally different. Never even would have dreamed of these jobs at that time. So how, it's really different. How did you go about putting together the list of people you interviewed? And I'm assuming you had to interview more than wound up in the book. Yeah, that's sort of the hard part, as you yeah, can I'll imagine. Bet. It's I'll having sure. to write to them. Sure it is. Um, yeah, I interviewed many more than than are in the book. But I... My impression is I was doing it the way Studs did, which was at the end of an interview, say, who else should I talk to? There's a lot of that that happens. Studs didn't have Facebook. Studs wouldn't know what to do if it did exist at that time. <laughs> he wouldn't know. No, he had no I can't even imagine <laughs> Studs meeting Facebook and Twitter. I just can't imagine it. Um, no, but I, I used it a lot. And, and, you know, that way I could get to people across the nation. Um, and so that was that was a big thing for me. Who was your first interview? Oh, that's a great question. Let me think. Um, I should have come prepared with that. No, no. Uh, well, I don't know what I, I don't have ten questions. <laughs> blow it off. Forget it. I don't remember. Uh, right well, now. I'm going to blow that question off because I'm going. <laughs> but you know what? I am fascinated by it. I, it would be interesting because um, they just kept coming. It, it really was. Did you initially, of, though, make a kind of list of at least sort of the professions you totally, wanted to dip yeah. into? I would think you have a lovely, wonderful section on, on sort of teaching in schools because you spent mm. a lot of your career yeah. as a teacher. Uh, the book is, is uh, to my mind, it's quite astonishing. It, it, is, it is the equal of Studs is Working, mm. which I love which is a very influential book for me uh you write in the book from the study i love this line from the start my work history has been eclectic <laughs> your work history i'm going to try to do it in three minutes can we do that in three minutes mark larson absolutely go ahead okay i can do it yeah <laughs> i I had a lot of jobs, uh, a lot of odd jobs. I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. Yep. Um, at the time, um, I met my now wife, who's sitting with us now, Mary. I was actually cleaning houses and still trying to figure out what I wanted yeah. to do. And then I started working for Burr Tilstrom. Yeah, which is uh, fascinating. Which has been a fascinating and a huge part yeah. of my life, too. Oh, of course. Um, over my desk, I have pictures of studs and of, of Burr. And my dad. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I worked with Burr as his assistant for a number of years until the time he died. I was working with him, actually, on a biography. Mm. Uh, he wanted to do that, but he passed away. And then uh, we realized, we found out we we're going to have twin daughters, and I needed an actual job. Yeah. And then I kind of, I had dropped out of you college. Went back to school. Yeah. See, we share that. We share that dropping <laughs> out of college part because we're the sons of, sons of newspaper guys. Uh, but then I didn't get married that early, so I had no responses. I drove a cab. But you decided you needed a, a career. I, I needed a career, and I went into teaching, and I loved it. Yeah. And you, I were, taught. you were good at it, too. Oh, thanks. Um, Roger Badish says so. So that's, it must, that's must right. be true. Must be true. Shout out to Roger, Roger Badish. Um, so yeah, I was a teacher for fourteen years. About actually fourteen and a half years at Evanston Township High School because halfway through the year, um, I was doing some some work at a field museum, and the woman who works there offered the, you a job. Offered me a job, 
And I couldn't say no, so I went to there, and I went from there to uh, Lincoln Park Zoo, and from there to National Lewis University. People in Lincoln Park Zoo loved you. You were kind of in charge of the, what was, what was the title? A director of Education. Yeah, the, the people I know, and I know a lot of people mm. at the zoo, loved you. Just thought you were great. It was, a great, it was great fun. And then you went to National Lewis? And, and uh, taught uh, teachers. And then you decided to become a book writer. <laughs> well, it's, it was literally... I would say literally a week after I retired and, and walked out of the building that I started working on Ensemble. Amazing. It's a great career. We will get into that uh, a little more. We'll be joined after this uh, short break by Peter Alter, who is the uh, chief historian and director of the Stud Circle Center for Oral History at the Chicago History Museum, which I will ever call the Chicago Historical Society, where where Peter, Mark, and I will be doing an event on March 7th. It's free, but you have to register. You need tickets. Uh, We'll talk about that event, and we'll talk more about studs, and we'll talk more about uh, Mark's wonderful, really. Studs would be so proud. Your dad would be over the moon, but studs would be really proud. We'll be right back. I want to read the entire title, but the title of uh, Mark Larson's uh, new book is called Working in the 21st Century. It is essential reading for anyone who wants to know about the world in which we live. He and I and Peter Alter, who is the chief historian and director of the Stud Circle Center, for oral history will be at the Chicago History Museum on March 7th uh, doing a presentation. Peter, uh, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're inside and warm somewhere, I hope. <laughs> I am, yes. Thank you uh, very much for having me on. I'm I'm uh, really excited to be talking with you both. Well, yeah, we, we've done some Zoom stuff, and we all seem to really <laughs> like each other and get along. Uh, and I hate Zoom. I prefer this kind of thing. Is this is this event on March 7th a members-only kind of thing? Uh, it, it is. Um it is advertised as a members only, but yes, you can. Uh, the general public can RSVP. Oh, nice! Uh, through um, our website, chicagohistory.org. dot org, mm-hmm. um, and it starts at six p.m., runs till seven thirty, and uh, it'll uh, especially feature you all talking about studs and Mark's work. And I'll give a, a short introduction, and we'll see lots of great pictures of studs and and Mark's interviewees. Uh, you'll also see, I sent you that picture of studs and my daughter Fiona, didn't I? Yes, I think, yes, yeah. That's, that's, that's a bring the crowd to tears photo. <laughs> uh, yes, Peter, when, when did you come to the History Museum? Uh, in 1999, when uh, studs was a scholar in residence, uh, I was listening to you earlier. Yes, at the Chicago Historical Society, which is still etched in literally in stone on yeah, the I know. front of the front of the building. So I got to know studs a, uh, a little bit, um, and remember seeing him in 1989 at Bughouse Square. And, oh, sure. Yeah, and my first book, really, like Mark's book breaking in on studs uh working mine was uh the good war which yep. uh was very popular when i was in college but studs you know the stud circle center for oral history is is i i think he said if it's not just a way to immortalize studs it's a way to further what his work was yes Yes, absolutely. Uh, yes, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yes, we, through the Studs Circle Center for Oral History, we believe we carry forward his legacy using tools of history and oral history for goals of social justice. So we've had 
projects in Chicago's Muslim communities on the west side in North Lawndale, East Garfield Park in Chicago's Polish communities, uh, which is our current uh, newest exhibition. Uh, so we're excited also, of course, for Mark's work because this uh, highlights Stud's work. It updates Stud's work and also gives us an opportunity to talk about the Oral History Center's work. You know, one of the things I think that's important for both of you gentlemen in, in sort of carrying on the Stud's Turkle flame, so to speak, is that we now live in this age where communication, I, I do not believe that healthy communication is done in 40 characters over Twitter. Uh, I, I, really, I really don't. And I think some people think, well, you know, sitting down with a tape recorder and recording people in conversation, that's so old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue that, that your mission, and Mark mm-hmm. talked about this, the mission of the Stud Circle Center for Oral History is to remind people that oral history and sharing stories, even though it is as old as the first caveman campfire, is essential to mankind. Absolutely, yes. Uh, these first-person narratives, you know, as as Studs tried to do, uh, expand our understanding, and as Mark is doing, uh, talking to folks we don't normally hear from. These voices heretofore uh, really haven't been highlighted, documented, published. Uh, and so, um, yes, it does seem a little old-fashioned. I uh, did an oral history yesterday morning. It lasted almost two hours. And the person said, oh, I, I talked so much. But, like, that's what we want to hear. We want to hear your voice. Well, see, that's I think what Mark's I, work does. I also think, and I think Mark, and we'll talk about this when we let you go watch the game or whatever you're going to do, <laughs> uh, it, to that, that it is people have an inherent need to express themselves, whether it is, I don't care, whether it's graffiti whether it's a caveman drawing on the side of a page, the, the human need for self-expression is is innate. You know, Mark, a lot of times people ask me, how do you get people to talk to you like that? And it's it's actually not hard. They, they really want to talk. The, what you want to do is just listen to it. But, yes, you're exactly right. There's an innate need, and you give, an, give them an opportunity to do it. Um, I, I think you might be heartened, though, too. I um, past couple couple days, I spent time with Columbia College students, mm-hmm. uh, theater students. And one of them um, came up to me afterwards, didn't know what I was going to be talking about, and said, I'm working on a report about Stud Sterkel and Burt Tilstrom. Oh, my God. I was stunned. I was yeah. just stunned. So I you, took her over to the Chicago it, History Museum. Yeah, she just stumbled upon the best source in the world for, <laughs> such, for such a paper. Just give this kid an A right now. Give this kid an A. What, what new things, uh, Peter Alter, do you expect to be doing with the Center for Oral History? I mean, it is a continuation of, of Studs' work, but... It's 50 years after working, for instance, and it's it's a different world. What, you're going into various communities, ethnic communities, obviously. What else are you planning? We're uh, actually um, a great uh, program that we're working on uh, with Chicago Theological Seminary collaboratively uh, is to document uh, the Chicago Freedom Movement. Oh. 
uh, Operation Breadbasket, Operation Push, and the Rainbow Push Coalition uh, through an oral history project, an online exhibition that highlights that project, wow. uh, and um, hopefully some future projects. We also work a lot with high school students um, uh, as our oral historians because uh, they're they're really great listeners. They've been asked to do that in in school, uh, and so that's that's a lot of fun as well and on our horizons. That's wonderful. Yeah, that is wonderful. Uh, this event, again, is at the uh, Chicago History Museum slash, for old people like me, the Chicago Historical Society <laughs> at North and Clark Street uh, on March 7th at 6 o'clock. It is free, but but you do need tickets, and you can sort of go online, go to Chicago History dot org slash event and try to uh, see if you can get in there it's for members but or you could just go to go to that site join the history museum become a member and then go that in would there be the hope yeah and you'll get that this would be wonderful that's yeah. the best that's that's what we're looking for that's what we're looking for uh peter you must enjoy your work at the history museum in general it's just an amazing place uh, it is. It's it's wonderfully rewarding. Uh, you know, Mark just referenced uh, our Bird Hillstrom collection. So, yeah. you know, we have the Kukla, Fran, and Ollie uh, puppets. We have uh, Mr. Tillstrom's uh, photographs, his archival collections. Um, and through the Oral History Center, we get to be witness to uh, people's experiences, just as Mark was in his uh, through his yeah. fabulous book. Peter, it is great to know you. Uh, Peter Alter is the chief historian and director of the Stud Circle Center for Oral History. Uh, you can go watch the game or do whatever you do now. And Mark and I, Mark and I, will focus on the book, which we will be okay. doing on March seventh at six o'clock at the History Museum. Uh, Peter, it's an ongoing pleasure to know you. It's a new pleasure, but ongoing. All right. Thank All right. you Ta- very much. Take care. Uh, Thank you, Peter. Right. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. He seems like he seems like he, he fits perfectly with us, yeah. uh, Mark Lawton. We will uh, return after the news and talk specifically. Uh, we're not going to go over Mark's career anymore. You've heard <laughs> You've heard that, and some kid at Columbia is going to be writing a paper based on Mark. We're going to talk more about this remarkable book, who he interviewed, and what he thought. He has a lovely, lovely, wonderful introduction here, and there is a wonderful uh, prologue by uh, a mutual friend of ours and a great friend of Studs' mm-hmm. who tells that amazing, I met Studs at the Quiet Night years ago story. I'll have Mark tell mm-hmm. that for Sydney. We will be back. Welcome back. Uh, I'm here till the uh, top of the hour with Mark Larson, the author of Working in the 21st Century. It has a longer title, but order it and buy it based on Working in the 21st Century. It is the half-century update of Studs Terkel's remarkable book, Working, and this book, in its way, is equally remarkable. It is formally uh, out, as they say. Pub date is uh, in a week or so. Mark will be at Hull House. You go to hullhousemuseum.org on February 29th at 6 p.m. to, I'm assuming you'll just give a talk, or is that a... It's the book launch. It's the public launch of the book. Oh, nice, 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 nice. Formal launch. In the book, Mark writes, Working and Studs' own sensibility have had an indelible and traceable impact on my worldview about the significance of of individuals like his server that night. He's talking about a (laughs) server at a different place. Regardless of shallow societal markers of status, 
like the size of their income, their fame or anonymity, the power they hold or lack, and the company they keep. One of the favorite pieces of writing uh, I have ever known is Studs' introduction to working, mm. and this is up there with that market. Oh, thank you. It's, it's very honest. Uh, it is very self-aware, and it's very, very, I think, evocative and leads right into the interviews in the book. Mm. Anybody turn you down when you would approach the hundred some people in here. How many do you have a exact figure of how many people are in the book? hundred and three. Okay. That's my rough counting. Well, hundred and three. <laughs> uh did anybody turn you down? People didn't turn me down, but people did um not respond. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um and a couple people had cold feet after the fact. <clears throat> I talked to a young man who identified himself as autistic, but he really wanted to talk, worked at uh, Whole Foods, and had a lot to say about that and mm-hmm. what it's like to interact with, with customers there and so forth. And then I showed him what it looked like, and he just didn't want it. Wow. And I said, you know, studs often change people's names. Oh, no question. Your name changed your yeah, name. Yeah, changed my name. Interviewed. And did it a lot, I understand. And he said, no, I don't even want those words there. Mm. So that was the strongest reaction I got. Did you, when you when you approach these various people, I mean, from, you know, you got Amy Morton in here, who's a, a remarkable person, the I restaurateur, think. Yeah. yeah, restaurateur and the daughter of famous Arnie Morton. When you approach them, did you do so with the notion that, Hi, do you remember Studs Terkel's book, Working, or did you simply say, I would like to interview you about your profession or your job or your daily work? I always capitalized on the fact that it is a uh, inspired by Studs Terkel's working. Did most people and know who Studs many was? Many did. Not all. Yeah, I'll bet. Not all. I'll bet. But I did, so I did explain what that meant. You know, but. What, was your, what was your process? Did you use a tape recorder? Yes. And you would sit down with them with a, a specific time in mind, or was it free form? It usually ran about an hour and a half, two hours, and so that's what I told them going into it. Um, it almost always filled at least an hour. Yeah. Um, but And sometimes there were second interviews, too, because I, hmm, I really want to come back to certain parts of it. But it was kind of freewheeling, the first one. You know, and then, oh, you know what I really want to zero in on is this aspect of what we talked about. You know, one of the things, and I'd almost have to get Mary on here and say, Mary, how hard is it to be married to a person (laughs) who does this for a living? Uh, A lot of people think, well, this is just easy. You just ask a bunch of questions and then turn on a tape recorder and that's it. I, I think it is much more difficult and indeed demanding because you do not know exactly what you are going to hear from these people. Sometimes it is terribly emotional. Sometimes it is terribly sad. Sometimes it is very philosophical. Uh, Did you have any kind of defenses up for this? Or you seem, and I've known you for a long time, pretty open to anything. Was there anything that jarred you? Um. Going back to when I was interviewed by stunts Mm -hmm. for race, at one point I got up. That was a long interview, too. And I got up to go to the restroom. And as I left, his wife was in the room and in the uh, living room with us. 
I overheard him say, it's his candor that's throwing me. Mm. And that's what he signed my book, too. Yeah. Your, your candor threw me. And that would happen. I, I think I even said it in the introduction. You do. I was yes, stunned indeed. by indeed. how candid people were. And some of them really wanted their real name used. And I kept going back, are you sure? Are you sure? Because you were really candid. Um, that's, I think, what would throw me the most. But there was emotion, too. Oh, and, and uh, no question. Um, there's w- one of the principles I was trying to go for was I didn't want to come in with questions prepared. That's what a lot of people ask me. Do you have a question yeah, prepared? Ten, yeah, exactly. It just doesn't work to do that. You want to find out what they want to tell you. And the way I think of it is it's like I want to capture thought in action. Mm. Thought in motion. Mm-hmm. And Paul Stovall, Paul Oakley Stovall, the wonderful actor who played uh, George Washington in the first national tour of Hamilton, yeah. he said, near the end of the interview, he said, you ask me these questions, Mark, and by answering you, I find the answer. Oh, wow. And I, that's wow. what I was kind of after, as opposed to you know having a set idea of what I want. Well, you, you separate. Uh, you, you separate. You you have these in what are for me wonderful sections with fundamentals uh this brave new world what is the 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 what's under what's the brave new world's the umbrella what's in there it's people what turns out this is really what the whole book is about but people are really struggling to adjust to whatever is coming next and what is happening right now yeah we've it's like catching them um at this moment of huge transition mm. and that's that fascinated me so that the this brave new world is a phrase that somebody in the in one of the chapters used in fact she said um she was a librarian in oregon and she said how do we adjust to this brave new world and that that became kind of a theme that ran out and ran through the whole thing. But I gave a whole section just on that. You know, one of the, the to my mind, one of the most affecting uh, sections of the book is this after work mm. section, <clears throat> where people people have always, I think, been having to deal with what the, the overriding question in that whole section is: what now? Yeah. What now? And I found, you know, my old friend Linda McLennan, mm. uh, very moving, actually. Uh, why did you choose Linda? I was looking, I certainly wanted to hit on um, two things I was looking for there. One is somebody who worked in news, because I, I wanted somebody who could look back on news the way it used to be, mm-hmm. because I thought mm-hmm. it might help mm-hmm. reflect on the mm-hmm. way things are now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And... What the inner, but again, it's it's about uh, what is it she wants to tell me, and she wanted to talk about what it's like not to have that job anymore. Yeah, as yep. opposed to let's reflect on on news today, and so I went there with her, and it's as as you know from reading it, she it's a real struggle. That was her identity. Yeah, and for I, a number of years. Oh, for a long time. Yeah. for a long time. On that, she told a great story. She has nothing to do with anything, but she was so famous in Chicago that she was leaving a restaurant called Carlucci, and Linda was a terribly attractive woman, still is, but much younger. And she was leaving. She was trying to get a cab outside of Carlucci, and a, and a famous young lawyer said, oh, don't worry about it. Here, just take my Jaguar. I'll figure out how to get it back. Uh, uh. <laughs> 
you can't, I don't think, characterize 103 people as being... I found from the book, Mark, as illuminating as it is, that there's a real people. People are unsteady. Yes, people are are, are unsteady, and that, if not fearful, at least questioning. Did you did you get that sense? I know it's hard to generalize about all those people, but I, I did get that sense. This is a time of incredible change and incredible, along with that, un- incredible uncertainty. And yes, unsteady is a wonderful word. I think I'm going to use that because it's um, exactly what was kind of under a lot of these. There's a, um, I, I, I spoke to a teacher in Western Virginia, one of two black teachers in a rural area mm. where everyone else is, is white. Wow. And here she is being told, you cannot teach critical race theory. And her question was, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> And then she tries to get an answer, and she can't get an answer. Wow. And it's very she, – she's, she's a science teacher. She's told uh, you, you have to uh, alert parents that you're going to be talking about evolution oh. before you do it. And she said, I don't bother with that. Wow. Wow. Um, but, yes, the, I mean, uh, I talked uh, – on the subject of teachers, I talked to a teacher who was twice the um, teacher of the year in Georgia. And then uh, ultimately had to leave because she was told she can't use the word equity. She has to, she has to tone things down. And she said, I just can't, I can't do it. Oh. So there's a lot of unrest and a lot of, a lot of uncertainty. We will uh, have you talk about some, some other people in the book who, who really affected you. I mean, I think anybody who picks up this book, again, the title is Working in the 21st Century, will be affected, moved, but you'll also, I think, be enlightened about, because these are things you may work with people you don't, who you don't, who you see every day, and that's another thing, because Mm. people don't work with each other much anymore. People are working from home, where you don't ask your, your, your workmate, uh, how's your work life going? That's just Mm. not a question that is shared over cocktails at the billy goat we'll take a, a break and be back in a couple minutes 11 more minutes with mark Larson talking about his we could do this for 11 more hours working in the 21st century is the name of his book it is inspired by studs turkle's book and studs turkle's life and studs turkle's work uh 50 years ago, 1974, Studs Turkle's Working uh, came out, and that inspired Mark and Doug Siebold to have Mark work on this book. You know, while you were working on this book, Mark, you know, there was COVID, there's remote work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like, uh, you know, the world changed in ways you couldn't have anticipated pre-COVID. Yeah. Did it make it more difficult? Were, did- pe- were people... You know, certain. If you went to talk to someone who had a job for thirty years that they worked next to twenty people in an office, and for the last six months have been working alone, were they transformed by remote working? People are very transformed by remote working. Um, having trouble even going back to work. Some mm. of them are being told they have to go back. Um, talk to a guy who's an actuary. He's an actuary for the uh, Screen Actors Guild. Oh, wow, sure. In, in uh, Hollywood. And 
he has a firm that he and some buddies had started, and he talked about how they're trying to get people to come back because they like that in-person thing. Yeah. But especially the younger ones have not <laughs> don't want to come back, and so they're uh, trying to accommodate that. Interesting. <clears throat> interesting. That is a real, I think, sea change in yeah. in working, and obviously it's addressed it's addressed in this book. Uh, were there any? I don't know if you again. I'm trying to, these like generalizing things. Are there, were there, was anything that shocked you? Not not about some individual, but about as you as you were doing these more than a hundred interviews. Was there anything that really surprised you? You've had a lot of different kinds of jobs. Was there anything that that sort of surprised you or a trend? That you saw are people lonelier, are people more put upon, are people. My guess would be that people are not as appreciated. Well, they never were as appreciated as they would like to be. Is that that's obviously yeah. a common theme? I think you know if we're gonna we're talking about it in more general sense, and as sure. opposed to particular individuals, I um, I was very taken aback back because i'm not in the work world anymore right so right. i'm not living it myself by the level of uncertainty um and trying to figure out during a lot of this was during covid so i'm trying to figure out what that what the impact of that's going to be um i, I spoke to several nurses who were worried about things like wow we're not able to bring in uh young nurses to be trained with a real body we can't you know they, they one of them talked about there's nothing like actually holding someone's wrist and preparing them for to, to, to get a shot unless it's a real person and yeah. we don't have that right now wow and so there's a wow. whole segment you know two three years yeah. not being able to to come into the hospital because the hospital wouldn't let them in well, trying to have that sort of human interaction with a dummy or something. You yeah, know what I it, mean? it's a, you're right, or even a computer. Yeah, um, yeah. Ooh, ooh, spooky. There's spooky. A, there, another thing that came out that was really interested me. There, there was a, a young man uh, runs a, a, a small business of his own, a tech company, and he has a staff. And um, he said something about, you know, my wife and I really need to take a vacation. And we'd never take vacations. And I said, well, what does that, what does that do? Shouldn't you be setting an example for your staff, the, you know, life-work yeah. balance thing? And he said, I've never been in the same room with my staff, ever. No. And beyond that, though, what was interesting was what's missing is the mentorship piece. Because like when I was at the Field Museum, mm-hmm. I got to see these world-class people working day after day after day, dealing with crisis, dealing with uh, challenges, and seeing it happen. Inter- er, talking, Setting up a, a one-hour mentoring meeting once a week on Zoom is not mentoring. No. You know, the same, it occurs to me that, that that whole trouble is afflicting what is left of the newspaper business now. You know, you were the son of a newspaper man as am i and even i as a kid remember the camaraderie and the exactly the 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 interplay and the ability to find answers to 
why did this? Why do you think this policeman did this? And you'd have Rico going, well, because he, he was a boss of this guy. And, uh, yeah, that, that's a wow, fascinating. Well, I remember coming up to see you in, uh, they used to call it the city desk or something. And, yeah. And yeah, sure. I came up to see you and the we're walking. City desk, yeah. <laughs> that's what my dad would. Yes, but, of course. Um, but you said, listen. You just stopped and said, listen. And what it was was silence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was... That and that was, was pre-COVID. That was way pre-COVID, yeah. But, I mean, our computers did that, and a lot of... There are a lot yeah. of other elements, and, yeah. and you know, the, the contraction of the business. Uh, you uh, and Mary, who has been sitting here, you two can be so proud of this book. You are proud of this book, aren't you, Mark? I am. <laughs> what do you think your dad would think? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You hit me. Um yeah, my dad thought the world of studs. He introduced me to studs. Yeah. Um, I, he would have been over the moon. You may remember the name Roy Larson. He was, for a time, uh, near the end of his career, the, the religion writer, which is a a beat that most, most newspapers <laughs> no longer have mm-hmm. because, well, I guess there is no religion. You know, <laughs> That's why. Or that some owner, some hedge fund owner would tell you, oh, we don't we cover religion because there is no, no religion. In doing... Uh, Ensemble, which was your previous book, uh, you ran across a man uh, of a certain age who greatly influenced you and who's going to be the subject of your next book. Ed Asner? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I was, I was, yeah. I had to put, I was working on that at the I know, time. I, I know. started on this, but, and had to put it aside. But Asner really had an impact on me. I sat, at, I sat with him in his study uh, when I interviewed him for Ensemble and was absolutely smitten by this man. Just there's something extraordinarily authentic about him, um, deeply passionate about uh, social issues. Uh, and then the more I looked into him, the more fascinated I was. And I finally just called him and said, I'd love to do a book on you. Is that all right? And and I said, you don't have to answer right now. And he said, well, let's get started. Wow. And that's that's kind of him. Wow. You were doing a number of events uh, uh, for working in the 21st century. One is February 29th. It's a formal book release party, so to speak, at the Hull House Museum, which is uh, amid the old the old Circle Campus, what I used to call Circle Campus. Mm. I don't know what they call it now. Uh, that is at February 29th at 6 p.m. Just go to hullhousemuseum.org. This other thing that I guess um, normal people can go to on March 7th, uh, you may need to be a member of the Chicago History Museum. Go ahead and join if you want to come to this. But otherwise, go to the website, chicagohistory.org slash event, and Mark and I will be on stage with Peter Alter, who you have heard. He's the director of the Stud Circle Center for Oral History. Uh You'll be doing a, a number of uh, mm-hmm. different events yeah. with this book. Uh, Doug Siebold and Agate and whatever. Agate. Agate yeah. is behind you on this. Aren't you, are you now fearful mm-hmm. that Doug in like a month or two will say, hey, Mark, I have another idea for a book and make you do something else? <laughs> I'm more fearful that he won't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Asner book sounds uh, sounds fascinating. Asner, I only met him a couple times, and one of the great things about Ed Asner is he remembered a review that my father had written when he was down at the University of Chicago, Compass Players or whatever that. he was in. Yeah, and he, I, 
talking about the fragile ego of uh, <laughs> of people who shouldn't have fragile egos. He goes, I'll never forget the line he said that I was uh, not the worst person in the show or something <laughs> something like that. Uh, Mark, it's not my place to be proud of you, but I'm proud of you. This is a, a really, you. really a remarkable book. It, it will tell you people who buy it and read it about life these days, and that's something we all need to know. And there's insightful stuff here and all sorts of stuff. Chris Burrow, the director of operations at the American Writers Museum, which is not far from here, is coming in here for the next half hour. And while these two guys cross, I'll ask Chris to mark an event at the <laughs> Writers Museum, which is a great place. I just He's coming on to just get us up to date about the, the museum, and they do have a lot of events there, but it's also... Place it's on the second floor of a building in Michigan, on Michigan, not far from here, and it's something you should people should visit. It's a fantastic, fantastic place. Uh, if you are listening to this uh, in a couple days, I hope you enjoyed the uh, Super Bowl and uh, saw Taylor what Taylor Swift was wearing because that's going to be the big <laughs> news. Mark, congratulations! Thank you. Uh, once again, working in the 21st century, an oral history of American work in a time of social and economic transformation. That's the world in which we live.